Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're here. This is it. Last one. And we're done. And we're trying to be done because the only reason we can't be done is because you guys keep asking more great questions. It's amazing because like the, we've gotten more questions in than I would have ever thought would have come in. And then what happens is, is because we talk about so much stuff, I think we create more, more questions. And so like literally every week more questions come in. So here's, here's what I have to tell you. Uh, if we don't get to answer your question, it's not because we don't want to. It's because literally we are running over schedule every single Sunday just to try to get in as many as we can. And so if you've got a question that you think, pastor, you didn't answer this. And, uh, man, I really need to know. You're just going to have to email me personally and we'll, we'll, we'll just have some email correspondence, but I promise you, we're trying to get to every one of your questions. And so today we get into the afterlife because you guys apparently have a bunch of questions about what happens when you die. So absolutely not. You know, like pastor said, thank you guys so much for texting in or emailing your questions to us. It's been great. And so I wanted to dive right in because I think this is going to take us some time, <laughs> and so I just don't want to, I want to be conscious of your time here today, so let's just jump right in. First question is, Pastor Todd, what does the Bible say about ghosts? Yeah, some of y'all apparently want to know if grandma's hovering around the house, you know, who knows? So let, let me tell you this, the Bible does not say absolutely anything about ghosts. Now, there's certain scriptures that you can take. So, for example, one one Bible verse says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so there's this idea that, well, once you die, you go... You, you go before God or you go to be in heaven or you go to stand before God or whatever it is. And so, but, but, but here's the deal though. There's a couple of stories that could defy that logic. Cause so there's this weird story. Okay. Y'all want to hear a weird story? The Bible has a bunch of weird stories. I just need y'all to know that. I'm very aware there's some weirdness in the Bible. So in first Samuel 28, you can go read it on your own. Okay. There's this, there's this moment where King Saul, he's like the king of Israel. He goes to a witch. She's called the witch of Endor, which almost sounds like Star Wars. Weren't they on the, the, Indoor? Wasn't that where? Anyway. Never seen Star Wars, maybe. sorry. You've it's not seen... a sin, y'all. Don't cast the first. You've never seen Star I Wars? I've never seen Star Wars. I just never thought it. You know what we're doing this week? Yeah. We're going to see Star I Wars. I can't see old movies. The cinematography is so old on it. I just can't. You know, never mind. Don't, don't. Let's, let's. So the ghost in the Bible, say it again. You know, every once in a while, you just do things or say things that I just can't come back from. Who's never seen Star Wars? Who's with me here? Nobody, huh? Oh, here we go. I see a family there. God bless you. You've never seen Star Wars? Let's connect afterwards. And you married her? (laughs) Golly, bub. That's got to be on, like, the form you fill out when you do the certificate. Jeez, I... Yeah, last week, last week he, he talks about, cause he was his 40th birthday and I'm like, man, you look good for 40. And he talked about how good we look as a church. He goes, yeah, and there's a bunch of bald guys around here. And I'm like, how do you, you just say things, Nate. And I just, I'm going to give you a pass cause I think it's because you're from a different country and you just, I, I don't, I don't even know. Wow. I don't know. What were we talking about? Ghosts. Ghosts. And, and okay. King Saul. Yes. The, yes. The, the spirit. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So what happens is, is that he goes, King Saul goes to this witch and says, Hey, I need you to summon the spirit of the prophet Samuel so he can tell me what to do. And there's this really weird encounter. And so now, now I guess Bible scholars would look at that and say, well, either, yeah, that's a ghost. The ghost of Samuel came back and spoke, or that was some type of like evil spirit, demonic spirit that came and just acted like Samuel. There's also the scripture too. Sorry, I keep doing that to you. Um, I get, just get so excited. But like, Hey, there's this other scripture. Maybe that's because of that bald comment. It's just like, anyway, so there's this other scripture where Jesus goes up onto this mountain to meet with God and the images of Elijah and Moses show up. Now, again, I know you might not call that a ghost, but I'm just saying there's some weird stuff. I don't know that I believe, put it this way. I don't know for certain, but this is me, my personal opinion. I don't know that I think ghosts are lingering around planet Earth and floating around and doing things. So I, I'm going to say I personally don't, but the Bible doesn't say, and I think it would lend towards the idea that probably not. I think God gave his dominion over all things. Amen. So that's that's how I look at it. And um, I've grown up in Africa where <laughs> it's a little different out there, where in Africa people talk about ghosts, uh, seeing ghosts and how ghosts come 
to you and your time of sleep and just thank you for all you've done. And there's all these crazy stories. They're grateful ghosts. They're grateful ghosts, you know. Okay. And so, um, I don't know. Good one. All right, second question. <laughs> Is it wrong to be cremated? No, no, nothing in the Bible about cremation. Uh, you can be cremated. I think it's cheaper. You might want to go that route just to save your family some money. Uh, because uh, here's the deal. I mean, like, because this is this is the this would be the kickback. You've had certain Christians be like, well, what will? Because we talked about rapture a couple weeks ago, that might come back up again. But like, well, where's your body? And where's that? look? Okay, there's there's all kinds. of Listen, if you ever go look at a body that's been dead for a long time. It's already dust, right? So it's ashes to ashes and dust to dust. So like, you don't need a body for God to like get you to heaven. And so, it, you, you know, again, you'd have to imagine like, what if a Christian brother was like in a fire or a Christian sister was in a fire in their body? You know, like, there's no, there's nothing in the Bible that says don't be cremated. You can be cremated. It's all good. If it freaks you out, do whatever doesn't freak you out. Because some people get freaked out. They're like, I'll be in a box forever. <laughs> you know, if that freaks you out, then be cremated. If, if that freaks you out, do whatever fits you. I don't care. That's great, man. All right. Next question is, where is heaven? Which way is it? Where is heaven? Okay. So let me, let me make sure that I'm really, really clear about this. And, and, and if you haven't been here, I'd really encourage you to go watch week one, especially because I open up this idea. Most questions, you're going to, you're going to have me answer them like this. I don't really know. The Bible's not absolutely clear. So, uh, there's just a lot of, and this is why I'm so careful just to not be so absolutely certain about everything. Because whenever you have, this is what my opinion is, whenever you have brilliant Christian men and women who look at the scriptures and come to different ideas and they all love Jesus and honor the scripture, what does that tell you? That there's no absolute certainty here. No one's absolutely crystal clear. And so we're just never dogmatic about this stuff. And so anything, like I always said like this, anything to do with the creation of the earth, the answer is I don't really know. I wasn't there, right? Well, how much more so if you ask me about something that happens after you die? I don't know. I've never died before, right? I don't, I don't, I got, I got no real absolutes. I'm just going to try to teach you what scripture says. And funny enough, scripture doesn't actually say a ton about the afterlife. You know, there's this funny thing. Think about this. Think about this. Jesus is crucified, buried, and comes back to life three days later. And he hangs out with the disciples and the apostles, and they never once ask him what happened. Like, what was it like? What happened when you died? They never asked that question. Now, if they did, they just didn't record it. But like, that just doesn't come up. So there's a ton about the afterlife that we're just not absolutely certain on. And this would be a great question. So where is heaven? I have no idea where heaven is. Um, I would say that that when you think about uh, dimensions, right? We live in a, in a type of dimension where you have matter, right? It's like physical matter. But we know there's some type of spiritual dimension. And I would say that heaven is probably more spiritual in dimension than it would be physical in dimension, right? So like if you live in a three-dimensional world and height, width, and depth, and all that stuff, and we think, think about this. Think about like there, there right now, there's Wi-Fi in here, right? Can you see it? Nope. Is it there? It's floating around somehow. It's a, radio waves working that same way. Can you see them? Nope. Do you know they're there? Do you know they're influencing things? Absolutely. So we know that there are things in certain types of, of uh, dimensions and realms and, and, and ways of existing but not being seen, if that makes sense. And I would say heaven probably exists in some way like that, but somehow outside of space and time as we currently know it. So to answer that would be, I have no idea, but it, it seems like it would be confusing, whatever it is. Wow, that's deep. <laughs> In fact, let me say something. So like you said, when Jesus came back, they never asked him about heaven. You know, what's interesting is when Jesus did come back, uh, you know, this the idea of are we going to be flesh in heaven? Are we going to be soul in heaven or spirit? Because and the Bible says that Jesus actually ate uh, among the, well, when he came back, he ate with them. Yeah. And one, at one point, it says he walked through walls between them. So I, I had a, yeah. So that would get into like the idea of like what is your heavenly body uh, like? And and again, I have no idea. But if you can eat food but pass through a wall, that's freaky, right? That's freaky physics. I don't know what that is. And so that's what your heavenly body is like. It's freaky physics. I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right. Next question: How is heaven classified in different? religions. You know, I, I got to be honest, if I'm giving you uncertain answers on what Christianity says about the afterlife, how much more would I have a lack of certainty about what other people believe in other religions and whatever? And so I would say, man, everybody's got their own kind of version of, of heaven, though, or afterlife. You know, like Hindus and, and Buddhists, they believe in like reincarnation. So, for example, like Mike, if you're a good guy, then in the next life, you come back as like a, a wealthier, good looking, better looking guy. That's what you get. You're better looking and more money or something like that. But if you're a terrible dude, you might come back 
back as a slug or whatever. So be careful what you do. That'd be the idea of reincarnation. Um, I think there's certain like Christian cults that think you get your own planet. Apparently that sounds pretty awesome. I don't know about that either. Uh, that's not in the Bible. Um, well, you know what though? You grew up in a, in a Muslim culture and environment. They have, they have similar ideas, but different ideas than us. What is, you, you know, better than I do about Muslims. Uh, in Islam, they have a lot of similar similarities with Christianity in the sense of what they believe in. They do believe in an afterlife. Uh, they do believe in, uh, they call it a benzich, but it's more like what we think of purgatory, I guess, where there's a day of judgment that comes and God will judge you for all the good and bad things that you have done. You know, it's interesting in Islam, they believe in what they call the five pillars of the faith. And if you do these five things, then uh, most likely there's an 80% chance or so that you'll make it into what they call heaven after you're judged. Yeah, there's no guarantee, right? It's like if Allah's in a good mood that day, you... That's how they look at it. In fact, there's this like they call it a balance scale, and they really weigh out how good have you been? Have you been charitable to people? Uh, have you proclaimed Allah as your personal God? Um, you know, how do you treat uh, other people? What's interesting thing is in 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 in, in the Quran, there's something called a surah uh, that uh, it's nine twenty nine is the verse, and it really says there is one guarantee to get into heaven. And um, and if you're like Muslim here, God bless you. I got nothing against what um, you believe or anything. I just, I'm just stating the facts here. But they do believe that if you actually die for the cause of Allah, in fact, Muhammad said a verse in this stated, hey, um, if anybody's against what we believe in, uh, go after them, uh, destroy them. And so there's actual people who believe, even though that was written in a time where Roman soldiers were trying to annihilate the Arabs back then, uh, in that context, people take that verse out of context. And there's a lot of Muslims that actually believe in today's age that if you die for the cause of Allah, as Muhammad stated you would, then you're guaranteed to go into heaven. And they have something called the Hul'ara. Which means that if you're the bottom tier of good people, you get two virgins in heaven. But if in the upper tier of good people that have done good things and died for the cause of Allah, protecting this uh, faith of Islam, then you get 72 virgins in heaven. Hey, I just, I just like to say for the record that I have one wife and that's more than I can, that's more than I can handle. <laughs> Anybody that would want more than one is nuts. So then maybe heaven is hell. I don't know, you know. <laughs> you Can you imagine? Because, you know, we talk about this. You're only as happy as your unhappiest wife, you know. So True. you imagine 72, you're like, eh, eh. That's torture. Oh, as a matter of fact, somebody, well, somebody came in this week with a, with a question on multiple relationships, uh, polygamy, but they didn't say polygamy. They were almost like, before you get married, can you love multiple people? Yeah. And, uh, and that question kind of came in, and I would say, no, polygamy, polygamy was, this is the funny thing about polygamy. Polygamy was not forbidden in the Old Testament. It was never endorsed either, though, and every person who had multiple wives was having a miserable time. Go read the Bible. Like if you, if you look and look at the Old Testament as like a way of condoning polygamy, you don't know how to read your Bible. Uh, every man was miserable, um, and, and having a hard go at it. And in the New Testament, you do have the Apostle Paul really, I think, defining, uh, godly uh, godly male leadership. And he was talking to male leaders and saying, no, only be the husband of one wife. Uh, so polygamy by back then would have been very different then because polygamy was a form of survival, right? So like if there were too many women and, and, and not enough men because of war and whatever, then like uh, for a woman not to have somebody provide and take care in a very tribal barbaric culture, they could have been left to prostitution or slavery or whatever else. And so for a man who had a lot of money, it was actually compassionate for him to take in multiple wives. But it was never like God's design. So matter of fact, you go look at God's design. Go to Genesis chapter 2. It says a man and a woman. It does not talk about polygamy. So anyway, just be careful how you read the Bible there when it comes to like polygamy and multiple relationships and things like that. I think, I think there is an ideal, and it's, and it's a man and a woman together in a union like that. Thanks for answering that, PT. All right, next question. Here we go. And I'll go fast with these. What age will I be in heaven? I have no idea. Will there <laughs> even be an age? I don't even know. How does that work? How does time work? I, don't, I have no idea. I would say this, that the Christian... Uh, speculation has been that you will most likely be an optimal age. Does that like, let me make sense of that. So like, if you think like, what are my peak physical years of strength and ability and whatever? And I don't know, everybody would feel a little bit differently about that. You know, let's say Thomas Aquinas thought that you'd be 33 because when Jesus died, he was 33 years old. And they were like, that's the ideal age. It's 33. So everybody go back into your mind to when you were 33. Yeah. Right. Things that are down now used to be up and things that were less 
hairy and more hair. You figure that out. And so your, your body would be more optimized. That's just totally speculation though. And then this is the weird thing too. Think about children who died. Like what would they be like in heaven? Would they be an adult version of themselves, which makes the most sense? So anyway, who knows? That's one of those more speculative questions as well. It's like, where's heaven? Well, I have no idea. This next question right here is, this going to break some hearts or maybe make certain <laughs> people happy, but um, will my pets go to heaven and are there unicorns in heaven? Okay, so we'll, we'll get to this later because there's a different concept I want to give you about heaven. Most people, if you feel like you're going to be a fat, chubby baby with wings floating on a cloud, you have a cartoon theology, right? That's funny enough. Most of our, most of our images of heaven and hell come from Renaissance art. I just need you to get that. Like you need to embrace that. Most of your images, it's Tom and Jerry, but then before that, it was Renaissance art. Okay. So like that's where most of your images come from. And so when you really look at what the Bible says about heaven and hell, it's legitimately different than what the, usually the pictures we paint in our mind. And I would say heaven fits this bill too, because what we normally think about is like floating on clouds. Well, what the Bible actually teaches is that God will recreate the earth, that there would be a new heaven and a new earth. And if there's a new earth, my, my speculation would be that since there's animals on earth now, there will be animals in the new earth, right? Now, I would assume that because unicorns are mythical creatures. Hey, y'all ever, y'all ever seen the funny meme? It's Noah, and he's got all the animals on the boat. You know, he was supposed to bring two animals, one male, one female. That was, that was the whole thing. And there's this funny meme where like these unicorns that both look, you know, kind of feminine and the unicorn, the unicorn says, Hey, so I guess, uh, hi, or it's like, hi, my name's Gary. I guess me and you are going to repopulate the whole earth. And he goes, my name's Bill. And, uh, <laughs> and so that's why we don't have unicorns anymore. But that's not in the Bible. That's total speculation. That's a cartoon. Anyway, I'm so sorry I've been sidetracked. So, so uh, you know, uh, will, will your pet, like your little Fido, your little, we have a little, we have an orange cat and he's so cool. His name is Thor because he destroys things. And so, uh, so anyway, we have this little orange cat named Thor and he is so cool. So will that cat get to heaven? I mean, Terry Lee's hoping and praying that he does because he's a pretty cool cat. But... I would say, I don't know, probably not, because I would say that humans have a soul that is different, unique, and unlike any other animal on earth. And so, I, but hey, who knows? You pray and ask. I'm sure your heavenly father could whip that up if, if, if that was necessary. And so, right. uh, but I probably not. I don't know. And unicorns, probably not. I don't. If Bill and Gary couldn't pull it off. You know, <laughs> yeah, Bill and Gary. <laughs> that was funny. Pets go to heaven. That's, that's, it's, it's funny how in culture, like I say, you know, in my culture, we see pets differently. We really do. I like, I love animals on my plate. You know, it's like, it's a whole, I just, I've just never had a connection. With. All right. Next question. Here we go. Will we really see our loved ones in heaven and what will our relationship uh, would them be like? Yeah, I think the answer is yes. I think there are images in scripture that would say, yes, you're going to, to see people in heaven, know people in heaven, greet people in heaven. You will know and have memories of people. I get that. I get, really do get that impression. So I think so. The only thing that's interesting about this is that Jesus is asked. So there's this story where, uh, they, I think they present this like, you know, this scenario to Jesus and they're saying, Hey, Jesus in the resurrection or in the life to come, what happens to this one woman? Because they present a case where this one woman was married and then her husband died. And so then, then she was married to this guy and then that guy died and she was married to this guy and that guy. So in the resurrection, who is she married to? And this was Jesus's response. This is Matthew twenty two thirty. It says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels of he- in heaven. So you won't be an angel. You'll just be like an angel in the sense that maybe ma- angels apparently don't get married. And so uh, anyway, that'd be the only scripture. So babe, we'll be roommates. But I don't, you know, I think, but, I think that the, what? Well, I mean, so what if, I mean, God forbid, but like, what if you remarried for any God or given reason, who are you going to be roommate with? <laughs> I'm never going to remarry. All right, cool. Okay. I'm a one woman man. Okay. All for right. life. And the, I think, it, <laughs> It just sounded like that's what I was supposed to say. That is. It's a good man. <laughs> Guys, you need to take notes sometimes, okay? Like, just, you just tell them what they need to hear to let them feel loved and cherished. So anyway, but I don't, I don't know. Nope, nobody could replace you, though. That's the problem. Every other woman in the future, I'd have to compare them to you. They wouldn't measure up, and it'd just be a disappointment. Everybody so. say, oh, come on. That's just... See? Take notes, gentlemen. Mr. Romance. Take notes. Um, 
So in this topic, so what happens actually, so when you pass, what happens? Do you immediately go to heaven when you die? Uh, what are people in heaven doing now? So this, is, this is, again, this is, so there, there's no absolutes. Do you immediately go to heaven when you die? I assume so. Like, I think so. Because again, there's certain scriptures that say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's that. And so there is, there is this allusion to that at death. And if you've ever been by somebody on their deathbed, or if you've ever just been to a funeral where you saw somebody's body, I think that you're very aware of something. What you're aware of is that the body is, um, a, a shell, a container. Does that make sense? It, it, it's, it's your earth suit. <laughs> What you see when you see a body is you see somebody used to be in there and now nobody's in there. There's something legitimately noticeable about that. This is my intuition. And, and so what the Bible teaches is that idea that at death, the body and the soul separate, right? And if you listen to people that have like these, these like death, near death experiences where they die for maybe a minute or two and then they come back, there are definitely these people that they all have similarities in the sense of, no, I was separated from my body and then I came back into it. I think the Bible would agree with that idea that the body and the soul separate. The second thing that happens when you die though is that there is this idea of judgment. You face judgment. And when I say judgment, don't think of that in a negative word. Just think of that as I get to stand before God. And there's, there's two judgments that the Bible speaks of, right? So the first judgment is called the white throne judgment. It's taken from this scripture right here. So check this out. Revelation 20 says this. So this is John having an image. Then he just talks about the image that he saw. He goes, then I saw a great white throne. That's why it's called the great white throne judgment. I saw a great white throne and him who who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so this would be the great white throne judgment that everybody somehow goes past. Does that make sense? And the idea is this, because this is, this is a question that'll come up later. Like, how do I get into heaven or how good do I have to be or things like that? So we'll kind of address that later, but every person will go before God and, and have to give an account for their life. Now there's a second one though, that's mentioned. They call this one, the judgment seat of Christ. And it comes from this scripture. Okay. So it says in Corinthians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so, you know, again, there is some, here's what I know. It seems that, that, that there's a separation between soul and body. It seems that you go before the Lord and you give an account for your life. And then the, the last part of the question would be, well, what do you do while you're in heaven? Well, that goes back to that notion that what is heaven right now is not the long-term heaven that you and I will experience. Does that make sense? It almost seems like there's heaven now, but at the end of all things, God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And so whatever is heaven now is not will be the heaven that we live in forever, which is a, probably a big misconception in, in, in terms of people's image of heaven. So I don't know, does that answer your question? Is that... I think it's great. Everybody's think, confused. Look on their face. And right I there. think it creates more questions, right? I mean, it really does. I think it's a great answer. Um, and at the end of it, um, I just invite you guys to keep researching and, and, um, and like, you know, what you hear here on stage, we're giving like three minute answers for me. He has spent countless, I'm talking about countless hours reading and just studying. And, and I have just, a whole sermon series called yeah. what happens when you die. <laughs> Funny yeah. enough. So I take four weeks just to talk about this stuff. So yeah, I'm giving you very, very short, brief answers for sure. No, it's great. Well, so like my dad told me growing up as a kid, there's certain people you listen to and then there's certain people you lean into and then you listen to. And so we've had the great opportunity to have Pastor Shane Willard here with us, uh, teach amongst us. And uh, right now he's going to answer a few of your questions right on the screen. So go ahead and lean into the screens and check out what Pastor Shane Willard has to say. All right, Shane, next question. Uh, kind of two parts to it. Number one is what happens to, to babies when they die or what happens to people who have never heard of Jesus before? Well, any time we're talking about what happens after death or heaven or hell issues, we have to start by saying it's above our paper. Like, that, like this is... This is far above my security clearance. I'm happy to discuss it as long as it's not belligerent. Um, I think there's a couple of assumptions that can be made about those questions, and that is if you're working on a 300-year-old assumption that everyone's out till they're in, then that question's more relevant than if you work on the ancient Jewish assumption that everyone's in till they're out. 
And so if everyone's out to their end, then what about that baby? Oh, like, you know, what, what, hang on a second. Let, let's go back to the what we know about the character of God. Do you really, two questions. One, do we really believe that a God who was willing to put on flesh and die for all of humanity while they were still hostile to God would really be someone who would judge a two-year-old when you, with skin and flesh and lust and flaws and darkness and disrepair and doubts and problems, would never judge the actions of a two-year-old. So one, we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that God is fundamentally meaner than we are? That's one. Two, um, we have to ask if our foundational premise there is flawed. And because um, one of the things, I, this is going to sound like I'm making a joke, and I sort of am, but it is a commonly held belief by some people. I want to honor that. The idea that if you die before 12, you're in. After 12, you are so screwed, right? So let's think about that for a second. If someone actually believed that, they'd be this, and acted upon the natural application of that, they'd be the scariest person on earth. Because if we actually believe that if you died before 12, you're automatically in. And the goal is to get everybody in. Wouldn't the most loving thing in the world be to be line up every 11-year-old and 11-month-old and just, you know, if you're 11 years and 11 months old, we're just going to shoot you. Um, because we believe if you die, we can ensure your eternal salvation if we just kill you now, right? But that sounds insane. Why? Because it is insane, right? Why? Because that belief is fundamentally flawed. And so um, I think we have to default back on the character of God for children and for anyone who's never heard or and i would add to that anyone who's heard a flawed picture of jesus some people say oh they rejected jesus but when you look at the situation they didn't they rejected the image of jesus that was presented to them and it just happens to be an image of jesus that should be rejected and so you go did they reject the actual jesus or the image of jesus you presented did they reject white imperial Jesus or Middle Eastern hippie Jesus or loving Jesus or lightning bolt Jesus? Or, or did their father violate them and abuse them in the name of Jesus and they're rejecting that image of Jesus? Because some Jesuses should be rejected. So uh, I, I, think, I think that question is should be discussed without belligerence, and it's quite, it's more complicated than right, wrong, in or out. All right, let's keep it going with some afterlife questions. Uh, here's another one. What is purgatory, and where is that in the Bible? Uh, the, well, the, the word purgatory is not in the Bible. Um, my understanding of purgatory is it was a doctrine espoused by, um, uh, by the Catholic Church 300 years or so after Jesus, and then, and then it extended on for a period of time where uh, they taught that there was a part of hell that was not eternal. Rather, it was um, refining. And, uh, and, and that's actually, that's actually a, a very culturally accurate thought from Jesus' day. Um, they, they taught that, once again, anything about the afterlife, I don't know. I'm just discussing it, but I can tell you what they believed because so we can read that. And I can, I can also tell you, I can tell you what they believed, and then I think we can assume that Jesus knew. So, so the question is, is, did Jesus confirm, deny, change, or ignore what they said? And what they believed was, was that, was that when you died, that there were three options. One option is annihilation. So, so, you are so far past redeemable, I'm just going to save the time and destroy you now, right? So and they believe that. So did ancient Egypt believe that. Uh, you, can, you can find that on the inside of lots of their tombs. If you, if you go to the Smithsonian Institute, by the way, in the, in the mummy exhibit, on the inside of their sarcophagus, on their sarcophagus's coffins, they would, um, they, they would write their own obituary. <laughs> and the idea was, was that their idea of God was so primitive that when they... When, when God would open the coffin, he'd go, 
okay. And then there was three options. You were either um, you were either destroyed, um, outcast but redeemable. That was second option. Or third option was included, right? And so you see, and, and you see all three of those in the Bible. Like First uh, Samuel fourteen fourteen says, "We all must die. We all we poured out water on the ground that can't be lapped up again." But God will not take away life, and he will find a way that the one who finds himself outcast will not remain an outcast forever. So there was a belief in Jewish culture that even if you found yourself outcast, that, that God would go preach to you, essentially, and, and be a part of your redemptive process. And, and the word they used for that was pure, hmm. P-U-R, which is where we get the word purity from, and it was fire. And so, so when people, uh, 100% of our images of heaven, hell, angels come from Renaissance art. Um, but in scripture, there might be one or two mentions of fire and hell. There's 200 mentions of fire in heaven. Um, and so like 1 Corinthians 3, he himself will be saved yet only as one escaping the flames of heaven. So the idea was this, that, that part of heaven or part of hell, whichever one you want to look at it as, is a refining place. It's a place where wherever heaven's not already established in you, that needs to be burned off you. And it doesn't harm you. It's a refining fire. It's like the fire of, of the bush. That is, uh, uh, the bush isn't consumed even though it's on fire. Um, and so it's a refining. Hmm. God is not setting people on fire. Um, this isn't meant to be literal. These were metaphors that people were coming up with to describe this kind of thing. So my understanding of purgatory is a certain group of people took that idea and they and they, which is a great idea, but then they changed it in one element. They said you could pay people's way out of it. So, so the perversion of it was, was that there is a financially profitable way to profit upon the idea that God will eternally be a part of your redemptive process. It's a great fundraiser, is what you're saying. It is. It is a <laughs> brilliant one. It's a great one. Shane, incredible job. Thank you for all of your help and all these incredible answers. Welcome, man. It's been a pleasure. Man, that's that's just great. Have you all enjoyed Pastor Shane's answers? It's been hasn't it been great? So, um, I, I actually want to go back and allude to something he covered because this was a question asked many times, and I'm going to ask. I'm going to state it as it was asked, and I want to get your thoughts on it as well, Pastor Todd. As a Christian, do we believe in hell, like a burning, awful life? Um, I've never believed in hell, but people talk about it. Yeah, you know, well, Shane started out asking or answering the question on purgatory, which is interesting. I don't, I don't know that I believe it the way that maybe a certain Catholic people would, would, would state it, but the, the concept of going to heaven, but as through fire is, is the concept of, of even a Christian person. You have things in your life that don't belong in heaven, right? You have parts of your, parts of your soul that are, are broken or flawed or whatever, and that stuff doesn't belong in heaven. And so God's going to purify that from your life. That's a, t- a verse taken out of the book of Corinthians. So, but let me, let's talk about hell real quick here. Cause you know what? Shane did something earlier and I never got to address it either, but Shane wrecked a lot of people's views on rapture. <laughs> and, and some of you were like, what in the world? We, what? What about rapture? Um, cause when he a- answered the question about rapture, people came up to me like, wait a minute. Did he just say the rapture is not real? And I'm like, well, what he said was, is that the idea of the rapture is only about 200 years old. It's a relatively new doctrine and it's a doctrine that tons of other parts of Christianity don't believe in. So again, why do we believe this? Where does it come from? What's the origin of this teaching? And then again, he went in and taught why. And so um, I, I would say that one of the things that I ran into as a young believer was, okay, here's what you need to know about you and me, right? If you grow up in a certain type of church, that church does typically not get up like a seminary class and teach you all the different views on a subject. They teach their view on the subject, right? So they don't teach doctrine. They teach their doctrine. And if you grew up in a certain kind of church, let's say that taught you the rapture your whole life, then you just were indoctrinated, right? Not, not, it wasn't evil intent. You just, that's what you were told your whole life. That's what you assumed. Somebody told you that's what that scripture meant. And you had no idea that there was an alternative way of thinking about it or looking at it. And so all of a sudden somebody tells you, oh, the rapture is actually this and this and this. And you're like, what? And, and one of the things that I, I do dislike, cause I'm a student of scripture, I'm a reader and a studier is I like to know 
Is that true historically? Is that true geographically? How, where did these ideas come from? Are there different ways of looking at the scriptures? And, and, and so I don't like being stuck in a denominational bubble where I only know one version of how to look at something. And so that was the way that, that Shane unboxed rapture. Well, the, the doctrine of hell is the same way. I grew up in a typical Southern Baptist church that painted this picture of hell as a very certain type of way. And I just assumed, okay, well, and what's funny is, is now when you go read those scriptures, you read them through the lens of your indoctrination. Like you almost can't help but to see them through that lens because that's just what you were always taught. And then I get older and then I realize, wait a minute, you mean historically we haven't always taught hell this way? You mean other denominations don't teach hell this way? You mean there's other scriptures that kind of like counterbalance some of these ideas? And so I guess, I guess that's one of the things that me as a student of scripture was, I, I really care about. I don't want to be indoctrinated by one person's view. And so let me, so let me give you, cause, cause Shane did a little brief overview. I'll give you maybe a, a more in-depth version. There's more than one view on the doctrine of hell, right? So there's really, there's, I'm going to say there's five versions of hell. One is going to a Raider game. And so, um, ooh. Uh, that's, that's one version of hell. The other ones are biblical though. And so, Hey, this one time me and Nate almost got beat up at a Raider game. That's why that's a joke. That's why that's funny. We did. Remember we went to the Raider game. It, it, it was because of you. We almost got beat up. I just want you to know. Cause I'm white. I got swag. I'm just kidding. So here's what, here's what, we, here's what happened though. These guys were right in front of us and they were drinking a lot. Now me and Nate are not Raider fans. <laughs> and it was as if they knew. They turn around and looked at us and they said, hey, are you real Raider fans? Or no, did no, you no, just... no. They said, hey, are you Raider fans? I mean, like they yelled it out. It wasn't like they questioned us. In but I sense. felt like he peered into my soul. Yeah, it did. Because he said, are you real Raider fans or did you just get free tickets and come to watch a game? And yeah. I'm like, how did he know? I'm like, Abs- of course I'm a Raiders fan. <laughs> and we were like, heck yeah, I'm a Raider fan. I bleed silver and black. Now, if they had asked us to name anybody on a Raider squad, we would have been dead. We wouldn't have came out. I would have pushed you and then take off right yeah. just to see. Hey, this idea of... I'm so sorry. Anyway, hell. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, really, okay, really, there's four, there's four views on the doctor of hell. One would be what they would call, like, uh, the, the, the tormenting fire, right? There's this idea that your soul is eternal and you live eternally in hell being tormented over and over and over for an endless amount of period. Um, of time. And, and, and so anyway, I think, I think there's some really holes to poke into that theory. Um, the, the second one is, is there's an annihilation view, like a consuming fire. So, uh, people that believe this would look at scripture and just look at really, really plain words like perish and death and destruction and says, okay, well, and again, like, so it says, don't fear one who can destroy the body, but only the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So destroy, uh, for the wages of sin is, Death, but the gift of God is just, so. There's a certain annihilation view that basically, if you if you're not righteous, if you're wicked, that ultimately you, you you would be punished, but ultimately death or destruction would be your end. The third view is is what you would call Christian universalism. Christian universalism takes some of these scriptures that say all, like God will redeem all, God will save all, all, all. There's a, there's a handful of those all scriptures, and they say, hey, look. We all get in, which is, again, it's really tough. It's really easy to poke some holes into this stuff because you're like, well, wait a minute. There's a bunch of all scriptures, but then there's a bunch of death and destruction scriptures. So how do you, how do you balance the two? So those are the three main views on hell. As a matter of fact, there's a book. Um, Steve Gregg wrote a book called uh, What You Need to Know About Hell. And he lays out what he does. It's a really cool book because he says, here, all three views. I'm not going to tell you what I believe, but I'm going to tell you, here are the scriptures, here are the pros, the cons, the arguments for, the arguments against. And it's a, it's actually a really, really cool scripture. Speaking of books, if you want another book, there's a book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. It's all these questions about heaven that we're trying to answer. That's a pretty exhaustive book on heaven if you want one of those. Um, Edward Fudge has a book called The Consuming Fire. Edward Fudge, that's a cool name. Edward Fudge, he, he wrote a really, really comprehensive book on annihilationist view of hell, which is interesting to read. So anyway, go, go read and study and think. But those are the three main versions of hell. So there's a tormenting version, an annihilation version, and then a redeeming version that in the end we all get into heaven. I would actually say that what makes most sense is what I would say is a fourth view, which is which is somehow a blending of them. Because there are certain scriptures in Bible in, in the Bible that talk about death and destruction. There's certain types that talk about punishment. Punishment. There are certain ideas that, so for example, in, in Revelation chapter 21, there's this really interesting, it's the last chapter in Revelation, and it says this. It says that after God creates a new heaven and a new earth, and he's restored all things, it says that there are people on the outside 
and, and they're bad people. It lists like what kind of people that they're all bad people on the outside of the gates of heaven. And then three verses later, it says, and the bride is compelling them to come. So, it, so, so put it this way, the ancient Jewish belief, he's not wrong about that. The ancient Jewish belief is simply that it's a blending of all three, that some people were so wicked, they were just destroyed. Some people were righteous and just got in. And then some people went through some type of purging and punishment so that they could get in. And so there's that blended idea of, and so again, you've got to weigh those out and read the scripture for yourself. But I just would say, look, I just was, I was a little annoyed that I was, taught one thing my whole life and nobody ever told me that there are really, again, really, really bright Christian men and women who love Jesus and honor the scriptures and they just have a different take on it. And I almost felt like I wasn't ever given the option to think for myself. And so I want to encourage you, read, study, think for yourself, weigh it all out. It's really, really good. I'd say the end result is this though. Whatever you come to, this is the clear, clear, clear conclusion about heaven and hell. Heaven is good. You want to go there. Hell is bad. Whatever that is, you don't want that. You smell what I'm cooking? Heaven good, hell bad. Jesus good, sin bad. I mean, it's as simple as I can get. So whatever version that you think hell is, let me just tell you this. It's not, it, it's something that Jesus is compelling you to walk away from and to walk with him. That's the ultimate thing about heaven. That's great. That you got to think about. Great answer. Yeah. And I encourage you, please go study uh, the books that Pastor Todd said is a great. I've spent a good portion of my last few months just studying this stuff. And um, it, it's been, I actually believe, I was taught to believe that once you, uh, that one day you will be raptured and, and like you're just gone and your clothes are folded all of a sudden. Remember, just, remember the Left yeah, Behind series? They're on like a plane behind. and people just disappearing. And your clothes are folded. Where are the people? Yeah, your clothes are, were they but folded? But what happens? Yeah, they're folded they're real folded. nice and neat. It's like they're Angels dry folded your clothes folded. Yeah. when you disappeared. Yeah, yeah. But we encourage you, please go research. And uh, I mean, what happens if your clothes are wrinkled prior? Is that just a miracle? Maybe itself? they're iron. I don't know. That's Maybe the they're miracle. iron. This next question is at your Really good question. So if someone who lives a good, honest, charitable kind of life, but never trusts in Jesus as their Savior, will they go to heaven? I mean, I have no idea. I mean, I, I put it this way. There is, where's, there's like a, a great verse that I think about that talks about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes to the Father except through him. So to me, there's this idea that I'm with Jesus and that's the most important thing. Um, I would say that this person without Jesus then that goes back to your views on other things like, is it possible to be saved after death? Which some Christians would say, yeah, some Christians would say, no, it depends on maybe your version of hell. If you had the version that was this blended version, then maybe it was possible that they never had a, a real honest opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Um, again, when you talk about people that maybe have never been introduced to the gospel at all, or, you know, there's all kinds of different things. The, the ultimate answer is this, that's way above my pay grade. I don't have a security clearance for that type of stuff. I really don't. And so like I'm, I'm a pastor and I operate on a need to know basis. And so like since God deemed it that I didn't need to know that, I don't, I don't know that. And so what happens? I would say you would never ever want to, let me be careful about this too though. You would never ever want to put your hope and trust in your good works because they're not good enough. I think that's what you got to be really, really careful of. It's not like God's got this list in heaven and be like, all right, Taylor, let's see what you did this past week. And going through this checklist, like, all right, you were good this week. You keep it up or else. And so it, it doesn't work like that. We don't live off of a meritocracy. We live off of grace, which says this, that Jesus has done for me what I could not do for myself. So no amount of good works makes me good enough to get into heaven. Because then you got to get into this whole debate. Well, how good is good enough? Again, it's just, it, it's Jesus. It is the goodness of Jesus. It is Jesus on the cross paying the penalty for my sin and making a way for me to be right with God. That is the ultimate answer and that ought to be your focus. And so what, what happens to those people? I don't know. It's above my pay grade, but outside of Jesus, I can give you no assurances whatsoever. It's a great answer, man. Yeah, well, let's focus on what we do know about what God has told us, and let's not so much focus on what we don't know. Uh, yeah, and we know that Jesus is the way. Yeah, amen. And this final question, so we can wrap up this series, and I love this question. Um, and I mean, I gotta be honest, I'm ready for Christmas, by the way. This whole Mary Stressmas deal, next week we get to start a new series, and it's really about the stress of Christmas. You wanna say anything about that, real quick? Yeah, we man? start a new series. Everybody say next week? Next week. Next week we start a brand new series. I, I, I gotta be honest, I'm a little thrown off by doing Q&A for these four weeks. It's just so different. This is not what we know. So if you're here as a first timer, this is not normal, us sitting at a table and just doing Q&A stuff. We just did this for one series. If you don't know, too, we teach in series. So we take a big theme or topic. 
dive in for at least three or four or five weeks and really unpack something. And so, yeah, next one, I love the holidays, but I know this, I know the holidays stress people out sometimes. And so last year we actually did a series where we talked about how, like how to deal with difficult people during the holidays. I'm going to teach you how to deal with you and how to like set yourself up for the most blessed and joyous holiday season. So we're doing a series called Merry Stressments. It's going to be awesome. And so as a matter of fact, you got cards that were in your seat, get back in here next week, bring a friend, invite somebody to come with you. It is going to be really, really cool. That's great. So to wrap up the series, the final question is this. From Scripture, having read Scripture, can you tell us what will heaven actually be like? Man, here's, here's what I know, and let me give you some really, really big foundational thoughts to leave on. What makes heaven heaven is that God is there. If God is not there, it is not heaven. Does that make sense? Heaven is not a utopic place where I get all of my dreams and desires and wishes and everything's again floating on clouds. It's heaven because God is there. And if God wasn't there, it wouldn't be heaven. Does that, so that makes sense. And so I think you want to, I want to consider that. So here, here's some big foundational ideas. Number one is this is God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. That's really like a big idea you want to get your head wrapped around. So I don't know exactly what that looks like, but in my mind, if there's a new heaven and a new earth, what the Jewish belief was this is that God in essence would recreate a garden of Eden on the whole earth, if, if that makes sense. So if you could picture, what would a world look like without sin? What would a world look like without, what would a world look like without all these different things um, and with the presence of God? And so that's number one is, is that if you read Revelation, God created, and that's in the book of Isaiah as well. It's also in the book of Second of, of Peter is that God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Number two is this, is that God will do away with death and pain. Now that seems pretty incredible to me. So heaven is almost like this place again. There's no more headaches. Yeah, no, no more headaches. Uh, no, no more worry. No more genocide. No more stress, poverty, children dying of malnutrition. No more arthritis. No more cancer. No more AIDS. No, no. It's the land of no more. So you, you got you got to know like God is doing. God is doing His ultimate and final restoration project. And then lastly, and this is the most important part, is that God will dwell with us. That's where I really need to get your head wrapped around, that God will dwell with us. Revelation chapter 20, verse 3, and I'll give you this as your last scripture of the day here. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Which does sound like almost like the Garden of Eden when you have Adam and Eve walking with the presence of God. And so, you know, he, here's, here's my big walk away. There's so many things I cannot tell you about life after death. And there's so many things about heaven I can't tell you. And the Bible's not absolutely clear about a ton of this stuff. But when we walk away from it, here's what we know is that God is good. And he sent his son into the world to make a way for humanity to be reconnected to their creator. And that is good. You want to draw close to Jesus because of that, that heaven is good, that heaven is, is God restoring all things. Again, with heaven, it gives opportunity for justice. If you've ever looked at the injustices of the world and said, that's wrong, and why doesn't, whatever, and you've got to remember that without eternity, without heaven and, heaven, heaven and hell, there is no sense of final justice. And so God is able to, to really bring about justice in the earth. He is about to, to basically be able to be so present with mankind that they can experience his love directly in this incredible environment. And so, I mean, I just, I just think again, there is a hope in Jesus that is so powerful. It's, it's life changing. There's this story. I'll close with this. There's this woman, her name was Florence Chadwick, who back in 1952, um, she decided she wanted to swim from Catalina Island to the California shore. Now she had already uh, swam the English channel both ways. Only woman to ever do that. So incredible, right? And so she decides she's going to swim from the Catalina Island to the California shore. And the day that she was going to swim, and you got to remember, man, it's, it's rocky. If you ever try to swim in the ocean, it's not, this is not swimming in your 25 meter pool. It's, it's different. And, and there's sharks. Y'all know what California is like. There's sharks and there's these rocky waves. And it was really, really foggy. And so she, she started off swimming and there's boats alongside of her. And her mom is in the boat next to her, like cheering her on. Come on, baby, I'm with you. You can do this. You got this. And, 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 and so she's struggling and struggling and struggling. It's foggy. She can't see. She doesn't know how much further it is. She gets exhausted and she finally just quits and they have to pull her out of the water out of exhaustion. And she's so bummed, you know, again, these, these are, this is a person that had set out to achieve this great goal. She was so bummed and she goes, you know what? I was just so foggy and I couldn't see. And she didn't know that she had a little bit less than a mile to go. And she goes, it was so close, but I couldn't see the finish line. I couldn't see how much further I had to go. And so literally three months later, she swims it again. 
And she goes, it was the same type of rough waters and foggy day again. She goes, but this time I had a picture in my mind of what the shore looked like. And so even though I couldn't see it, I had created a picture in my mind of what the shore looked like. And every time I got tired, I started thinking about that picture. I think about heaven as, as that for us. I think about our hope in Christ that one day we will be with Jesus in heaven. And sometimes life is incredibly stressful. Sometimes life is painful. Sometimes the trials of life, sometimes the things you experience, I know they are more than you can bear on your own. And sometimes you have to give yourself that little picture in your mind of one day I will be with Jesus that God will make all things right, that God will restore all things, that God will redeem all things, and I will be with him in heaven. And so Paul even alludes to this idea that whatever it is that you go through right now, it doesn't compare to the future that Jesus has bought and paid for you. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? I want to encourage you today. You know, I might not have all the answers, but I have the answer, and it's Jesus. I'm telling you, your hope in Jesus it's the most powerful thing. And, it, and, and you know what? Your hope in Jesus actually is the only way to bring heaven to earth right now. To get a glimpse of it right now. To experience some of it right now. To experience the joy, the joy and the restoration and the redeeming of things. The only way to experience it right now is through Jesus. So I want to encourage you. We put our faith. We put our hope in Jesus. He is our assurance. And so if you're in here today and you say, man, I've never done that before. You know, I've never just said, Jesus, I need you in my life and I want you and I want your forgiveness and, and your grace and your mercy. I need that in my life. If, if you've never done that, can I give you an opportunity this morning with your head bowed and your eye closed? If you say, you know what? I want Jesus as my savior, the one who redeems my soul, the one that makes a way for me to be reunited with him one day. Then on the count of three, I want you to slip your hands up in the air and say, that's me today. I want my hope with Jesus in heaven one day. I want to experience heaven on earth even now. On the count of three, one, two, three, and slip your hand up in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an incredible thing to acknowledge that God is up to something right here, right now. That Jesus wants to do something in my life right here, right now. And that by walking with him somehow... I make my way through this life with a little more peace and a little more joy. And one day, I will be reunited with him in heaven. And so if you're in here and you raised your hand up, let's pray a prayer together. Can we do that in whole church? We're going to pray it out loud together so we can hear it with our own ears. Just join in together so they're not praying alone. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. Help me to know you. Help me to follow you, to walk with you. I thank you, Lord, that you died that you rose again so that I could be free, so that I could be forgiven, so that one day I will have a home in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that I pray. And we all said, come on, give me a good amen and a hand clap this morning. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.